Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, we are here. We are awake, barely. <laughs> the few of us who are here, good morning to everybody. Um, welcome to Crossroads. My name is Dion. I believe I probably know everybody here. Good morning to our online family. For I imagine most of you are probably watching online in your PJs because we sprang forward an hour last night. Thanks for joining us in the series that we're doing of People Matter because, you know, I think right now we live in a time where we need to be reminded that God loves people, um, people do matter to him, and people do matter to us as a church. And so it's our heart to kind of show that in a variety of ways, not only here on weekend services and throughout the week, you know, with um, youth groups that go on and kids things that go on and Bible studies that happen, but just in a lot of other fun and ways to, for us to be able to connect as friends and family and to be able to invite your friends and family to join us. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just an incredible day. Lord, the lessons that we get to learn from those who have gone on before us, who have shown us what it means to sacrifice our life for you, and that it's worth it because you sacrificed your life for us. And so we thank you for that. And if this is, this is new information to us today, Lord, we pray that we would hear hope in the message that is you and your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And again, one more announcement that I, I wanted to make. If you are watching at home in your PJs, uh, you can still make it here. We're giving donuts out even if you weren't here. So at the end. Uh, so anyway, thank you all for being diligent and being here this morning. Uh, excited about the specific message that we're talking about today. We're continuing a series because as a church, we, we try and put things together that carry a message over a period of weeks. In the weeks that we're talking about, we're making one simple statement. People matter to God. First message in the series uh, talked about the foundational truth that is there. And we get to carry that message to the world. This is uh, Christ appears to his disciples. Jesus comes to, comes to them after his resurrected body. And he gives them and us, if you're a follower of Christ, he gives us our marching orders. The primary, the prime directive is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Go into the world and tell people. And, and we're told also, we, we pointed out that we'll be receiving power to, to go out and do that. We, we won't be doing it in our strength, but we'll be doing it in Christ's strength and also the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. But to go and to tell is, is what we're called to do. And the message is really simple, that people matter to God. That, that people have a plan, that God has a plan for each and every one of us. Uh, and again, as you look at everything that's going on in the world, in the Ukraine, United States, Russia, China, all of the threats, Iran, uh, Middle East, everything that's taking place, the really big news, big news, is that we matter to God. The creator of all, the one that holds it all together, loves us. And has a plan for us. Not a, not a random plan, but a perfect plan. We said first week that he loves us. The second week he says that he wants to adopt us into his family. These are some of the best known verses uh, inside the Bible that we have. where Most of us have memorized at some point, perhaps, uh, the verse or at least heard enough times that for God so loved the world. That he sends his only son into the world. This is... 
this is good news for us. And this is really, this verse is going to be a focus for our message today and actually for the rest of the series. Because that's the good news we get to carry. That God loves us enough to send his son, not just to send his son to bring a message, but to be the message and to die for our sins. He sends it. So whoever believes in him will not be condemned. Last week, Nick gave a message to talk to also about God's plan. But God's plan is to not just have a distant relationship, but to invite us into his family. He offers adoption to us. Uh, the, the choosing us and to say, will you be a member of my family? Adoption is what he puts on. Uh, even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we could be holy and blameless before him. He predestined, he chose it, us to adoption to himself in Christ Jesus, to adopt us into his family so that we, of all the religions and all of the philosophies and all of the stuff that's out there and all the false prophets, we alone get to say to him, uh, Father, our Father who art in heaven. So we get to call him Father. This is the good news that we carry out and, and offer to other people. That was the first two weeks that we did that. Uh, now, I want to I point this out, and we're going to continue to point it out, because in a couple weeks we're going to do a message called Convincing Proof. One of the things that, as followers of Christ, our, our belief, our future, our hope is not based on a doctrinal statement uh, made by some mystical person. It's not made by someone who had a dream in a cave. It's not made uh, by someone who, who had a revelation, a special revelation. No, our belief in Jesus Christ is based on historical facts. These are facts that can be verified in history. These are facts that can be verified through archaeology, through eyewitness accounts, through multiple sources. Jesus became the most influential person that has ever walked on the face of the earth. He changed the culture. He changed the direction. He created, if you will, Western culture under his belief system. This is the Christ we're talking about. It's, it's, it's founded and rooted in facts, in evidence, so that we can stand confident in what he tells us is true uh, because we can verify it as true as we go. We'll continue to do that. So when we're, when we're asked to believe in him, it's not some wild fantasy of our minds, but it's a decision based on facts. It's a uh, decision based on information that God does love us and did send his son to die for us. So why doesn't everyone accept that? This is really exciting news that we get to pass out. Why do the majority of people in the world, the overwhelming majority of people in our country, reject this simple truth? They may know it. They may give head uh, acknowledgement to it, lip service to it, but a very small percentage, a couple of percent in our country, actually believe to the point of committing their lives. How can that be? If it's truth, if it's fact, if it's information we can build our lives on, well, th there's a reason. There's a spiritual battle that takes place over our country. And that battle, by the way, is taking place over our city. It's taking place over our country. Uh, all of these things. Because the rest of the verse continues to go on, and it, and it tells us whoever believes in Christ. This is John 3, 16 continued. Whoever believes 
in Jesus Christ will not be condemned. There's the, the, the tipping point. But whoever does not believe in him has already, uh, is condemned already because he doesn't believe in the name of the Son of God. And, and this is the judgment that light came into the world. Christ came into the world. He walked among us. This is, this is light came into the world, but people love darkness. Why don't people accept Christ? Well, we like darkness. I liked darkness for 33 years. I chose to walk in ignorance. Even though I knew the truth, I chose to ignore it. I wanted my own life. I wanted my own control. And quite honestly, I wanted my sin. I wanted to be in control. I wanted to choose what to do. And that's exactly what they're saying here. I love darkness rather than light. That's why so many people won't come to the light. So many times you come to the light because here's the deal. God's God. I mean, so when he says thou shalt or thou shalt not, what he means is thou shalt or thou shalt not. There's no confusion. We have to give up control. And I think I speak for all of us. I know I speak for myself. I'm a control freak. I avoided God because I knew I was in sin and I knew I had to change. So I just avoided it. It was just easier uh, to walk in denial. So when we take this message that we're going out to other people to tell them about Christ, realize that there's a very few that are going to accept it. The majority of people will not accept it. We'll talk about what to do when people reject our message that we carry to them. But Jesus goes on in his discussions, and he says, the way is narrow, and it's hard to follow Christ. You see, the little one man walking out to the right, this is the 2% in our country today that are biblical Christians. And the wide, easy path that the world takes, that we have signposts on in the internet, we have it in so much of our teachings and things that are taking place in our world, that's the wide, easy path. Just go with the flow do what feels right to you. If it feels good, do it. So that's the other path. Those are people who choose not to. That's the rest of John 3.16. We'll see this division every week. Those who believe have eternal life in heaven with Christ. Those who don't believe have eternal life. Recognize everyone has eternal life. We just choose our forwarding address when we leave this earth. It's either heaven or it's hell. That's, that's the promise and the options that we have in front of us. That's the rest of John 3.16. Only a few will choose to do that. Again, we come back. Why? There's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle in my heart. For sure, before I came to know Christ, there was a, a raging war inside of me, knowing the right thing and rejecting it. Even today, as I, I have to make the decision daily, sometimes hourly, that I'm going to obey and follow and love Jesus Christ with all I've got. And this is the same for all of us, but there's a spiritual battle that's taking place inside of our world. You can't look at Ukraine. You can't look at uh, uh, sex trafficking of young kids, boys and girls to other people. You can't look at the slaughter of innocent babies. You can't look at these things and not see that there's evil in the world. Families are being torn apart. Uh, pain, disease, all these things are the reality that we live in. There's pain. But there's a spiritual battle over all of it. If you Just listen to Congress, talk to each other for a minute. If you don't think there's a spiritual battle of hate, discontent, and, and angry words going back and forth, that's the reality we live in. There's, and so we're told 
in this reality to put on the whole armor, put on everything that God gives us so we'll be able to stand against the evil forces of darkness and wickedness in the heavenly places. Our choice. We're told that the devil, he, he roams the world. Be watchful. He's, he, he prowls like a roaring lion. Interestingly, talk about the greatest deception that, that goes on inside of our country is the statistic that's at the bottom of self-identified Christians, and they have a grid that they, they actually ask people questions to categorize them. Uh, self-identified Christians in that they believe in the Bible, they believe in Jesus Christ, they believe in these things. Okay, 59% of self-identified Christians say that Satan is just a symbol of evil. He is not someone who's roaming the world personally looking for people to destroy. That he's just a vague idea that's out there. Uh, uh, a symbol of evil, not a real living entity. Satan's real. God says he's real. He shows up over and over again in the scripture. And oh, by the way, he's alive and well on planet Earth today. Easy to deny him. So I brought, a, I brought him in today. I asked him to do a guest spot uh, during our message. So let me introduce you. <laughs> Don't run. You're a Marine. Don't you run. What are you doing? Think. Let's let's meet the devil. I just wanted to stop by and give you a little update on what's going on. Now, some of you don't have a clue as to who I am, but there's others of you that know exactly who I am. And let's be clear on one thing: I know who you are. I spend as much time as I can with most of you, and here's the part that should make you a little uncomfortable. I spent a lot of time with your children. And thanks to some of you, they don't even know what to look out for. Sure, there's times I, I kind of wish I did the whole horns, pitchfork, and red cape thing, but you know, that would make it too easy for you guys. You see, the great thing for me is that I don't look like anything. I can look like just about everything. I don't have to be here. Some of the best work I do with you people is up here. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm successful. I live a good life. My family's happy. You don't have me. Well, guess what? I can take you down in more ways than you understand. I have one goal, and that's to keep you away from God. And if I can make you miserable in the process, well, bonus for me. And for those of you that don't understand the problem that I have with our creator, read the book. It's all in there. I want you to think of all the places you've seen me in the past week. TV, newspaper, radio, movies, the internet. <laughs> the internet, wow. Wow, I love that place. Do you know that I have over 420 million pages of porn on that thing? And it does almost $5 billion in revenue a year and growing. Thanks in part to many of you. Let me let you in on a little secret. And I don't mind either. You know why I don't mind? Because most of you will forget everything that was said in this service by the time you walk out those back doors. Are you ready for this? All you have to do is choose to avoid me. You wanna know the best thing God ever did for me was to give you the ability to choose? You see, you can't not choose. 
here's the greatest thing about it. By not choosing him, you automatically choose me. Now, some of you have figured out how to keep me away, and quite frankly, there's no mystery to it. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee. But most of you choose to allow me free reign in your life. You know, there's that word again, choose. I have drugs, porn, infidelity, greed, lust, pride, slander, and the list goes on and on and on. But the one thing I do not have is the ability to offer you freedom. You know, to see Jesus suffer on that cross was one of the greatest moments of my life. Then when he was with me, the burning and the torture that he felt was at my hands. And I loved it. I loved every second of his torture. But you know what I couldn't stop thinking of? I couldn't stop thinking about why he was there. During that time, I could only think of one thing. That when his torment was over, it meant that all of humanity, every one of you, would have the chance for an eternal life of peace. And all you would have to do is simply choose. You know, I know how this is going to end. I know what's in store for me. I will be condemned to an eternal hell, but until that day, I will do everything in my power to unleash that hell on this earth. And as God, as my witness, if you even allow me the smallest corner of your life, I will not stop until I destroy you. And until you cry for mercy in Christ's sake, I will not let you go. When the service is over, I will be waiting. I'll be waiting for some of you at work, at school, or at home. You know, I'll even see some of you in the car outside. Just remember, it's either me or him. Who do you choose? Wow, that was encouraging. The question is, 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 do we sense a reality in that video? Is, is, do, I mean, it, I think anyone who's honest can see the forces of evil moving in the world. Can we tie it to a spiritual reality that is out to destroy us? That is, excuse me, destroying many of the people that we love and care about? that is literally destroying a nation that was founded on God, has been, that foundation has been ripped out. There is a force, a specific person of evil. And it's this force of evil, this, this person of evil, was created by God, knowing that he would fall, knowing that he would become the devil, knowing that he would be the person coming into the world to give us a choice. Because the choice of heaven has to have an option. We have to make a conscious decision out of love for the one who died for us to choose God. So this, this understanding uh, that Jesus comes out, you know, if you believe and abide in his word, we'll be his disciples. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. The battle between God and Satan is really a battle between truth and lies. God tells us the truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. He is the truth. Satan lies in everything. If you look at so much of the modern um, philosophy, the politically correct, the lifestyles, the things that are being done, you look at them and those are lies. The decisions that are so clearly made, it's the same in the spiritual world. 
The devil is a liar. He cannot tell the truth. And so in the world that we're in, we have to be able to discern truth from lies. And that's really what we're, we're called to do. We're, we can see the unleashed evil, but we have to choose to follow God. That's, that's the case that we're in. This battle, the spiritual battle is the, the truth of God and the lies of Satan. We choose. Now, here, by the way, is the real news of the United States, an intelligence brief of where we're standing right now. What is the truth about the United States? The truth is we've bought into the lies. For so many generations of educational programs, we've bought into the lies. So the gospel, the good news is hidden and veiled for most people. Now, when, when we say that it's veiled, the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, that doesn't mean we don't know about Jesus, we don't claim Jesus. The overwhelming 70-some percent of the people in our country claim to be Christ followers. But this, this uh, statistic at the bottom, although 70-some percent will claim to be Christians, only 2% have a biblical worldview. We have bought the lie of what Jesus is, what Christianity is. I bought it. I had justified, rationalized, I'd put Jesus into a convenient little box that I could pull out whenever I needed him. And today in our culture, we acknowledge Christ, but so many people, it's a, it's a designer Jesus. It's not the real Jesus. We've bought into the lies. So 2% of parents, of preteens, think about what that means to the next generation, oh, by the way. If you're a parent here today, uh, only 2% understand biblical Christianity to pass those principles on to their kids. Uh, the gospel is veiled. It's those whose minds have been blinded, uh, the unbelievers, they, uh, from seeing the light of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. So today, we're focusing on the image of God. Who is God? Who is Jesus Christ? You know, and again... It's not a removed battle from any of us. It's up close. It's personal. It's in our mind. Uh, it's on the Internet. It's in public schools, no doubt. It's on our phones. Uh, we, we carry a portal. And that portal can open us up into incredible wisdom, knowledge. It's there. But more than not, it opens us up and our young kids to, to gossip, to destructive talk, to pornography that's instantly available, speed of, of a click inside of it. it. It's all around. You know, it's, this battle is fought out in our courts, in our legislatures. Uh, it's fought out in our minds and our hearts and all of these things. You know, his, you know, his question at the end, who do we choose, is really it. Well, let's start, let's start with a choice. Let's, let's put Jesus Christ up as our choice. And we're going to ask a couple of simple questions. Who does Jesus say he is? He, he says, quite honestly, he's the way. In other words, the way that actually Christianity was originally called the way. It's a way of living. He is the way. He is the truth. You know, he is the truth. He is the life to live and he's the only path to God the Father. Now, some people with the politically correct sensitivities have raised up and said, man, that's exclusive. How can there be only one way to God? It's, it is exclusive, but it's also inclusive. Anyone can choose it. 
Anyone can look at who Jesus Christ is and choose to follow him. Totally inclusive. We can come to the light and know the truth, or we can reject the light and stay away from it. it that's who Jesus says he is. He says he's the only way to the Father. He also goes on and uh, uh, he talks about the way being very narrow. Uh, and he says, I am the resurrection. He's talking to a lady who just lost her brother, uh, lost him, knew exactly where he was. He was in the tomb, Lazarus. And Jesus is about to raise him from the dead. So he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. So he's, he's saying he's making a claim to be able to raise people from the dead, which he subsequently immediately went out and proved. But what's interesting, and again, this is, uh, it, if you study the scripture and you look at it, he uses a word when he says, I am the resurrection. It, it, you'll notice in most of your Bibles, the I and the A and the M are all capitalized. He is just not making a statement, I am. He's making a statement of a claim to deity. Now, the Jews understood exactly what he meant. He says, I am that I am. This is a quote from the Old Testament where God identified himself to Moses. Moses said, who shall I say you are? He says, I am. Tell him that I am that I am. This is God claiming continuous existence of the past, the present, and the future. He is who he is. He, he's God. And so when Jesus says, I am, he's using the Greek words, eglahimi, which means and I don't know how to pronounce Greek. If you hear Greek, I apologize for butchering it. Uh, but Eglaimi is a word that means I am that I am. So in this verse, Jesus is claiming to be God. Twelve times in the book of John, he uses the expression I am. Read the book of John and just look for the capital I am as you go through it. Uh, the, the Jews who were there with him knew exactly what he meant. Because their response to this particular verse, I am the resurrection, is that they were going to kill him. They were going to destroy him. The Jews picked up stones uh, to use him. And Jesus says, well, what did I do? What did I do that you're going to kill me? This is what they said. It's not for good works that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Even his enemies knew his claim to deity, to being God in the flesh, walking among us. This is who Jesus was. So that's who Jesus says he is. Who does God say Jesus is? There were several occasions while Jesus was here on earth, not only his walking in his relationship with his father, but there are times when he boomed through heaven. Now, wouldn't you like that? We're sitting here and, and we're talking about Jesus and, 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 and God opens the heavens uh, and, and, and we're commanded, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now that would get your attention. You rip the car off, you know, the lid off your car, you know, talking about Jesus. This is the time, the next one is they were up on a mountain. He had taken some of his disciples up there and uh, a cloud overshadowed them. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, were talking to Jesus at this time. And as they were talking to Jesus, they were discussing something. It's in the book of Luke. Look it up. They're talking about Jesus going to Jerusalem, being beaten, spit upon, and crucified, and then to rise from the dead. Moses and Elijah were in the know 
because they had already transitioned. They had perfect knowledge. So they're standing there talking to Jesus. And then in the middle of the discussion, uh, as, as the disciples are looking, we hear this voice, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. God says, listen to him, he's my son. And then finally, the last time, uh, at the end time, every person sitting here, every person listening on the internet, every person on earth, seven some billion of us, will all stand before Jesus Christ. We will bow, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is, again, the capital L, Lord, that he is God. To some, he will say, well, enter into the rest, good and faithful servant. But others, he'll say, depart from me. You see, there's our choice. But who does God say Jesus is? He says he's God. Again, as, as we do, who do the disciples to say he is? Well, going on so many times, his disciples claimed that he would be God. Uh, and this, the first people, I didn't, I found this, uh, it was kind of fun for me. The first people that worshipped Jesus Christ were three wise men who had traveled from a far country because God had revealed to them that the king, his son, the Messiah, would be born. And so they traveled, and the first thing they do is they walk into their house and understand they worshipped him. This is, a, this is a, uh, something that is set aside only for God, only for deity. Worship only belongs to God. And these, these gentlemen traveled... Uh, long distances to come and worship him and give them the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And he asked his disciples one time, well, who do the people say I am? And then he comes back and says, who do you say I am? And that's the question he asked everybody here. Who do you say he is? Peter uh, responds, uh, you are the Christ. This is the anointed Messiah, the son of the living God. That's clear. But Thomas is my favorite because Thomas Doubted. That's how he got the name Doubting Thomas. Uh, Jesus had appeared to his disciples. Thomas comes in. And, and I love Thomas, but listen to what he said. This is big mansmanship. Well, I'm not going to believe until I can put my fingers in the holes of his hands, in the holes of his side. That's bold talk. But what does Jesus do the next time he comes into the room? And now Thomas is there this time. He says, yo, Tom. Come on over here. I, I got something for you to do. And, and he says, you know, put your fingers here and, and see my hands and, and put your hands in the place in my side where there's a hole. Don't be disbelieving. What is, what is Thomas's reaction when he does that? You know, he, he turns to him and says, my Lord and my God. He's God. And you see, by the way, he offers his hand and his side. We'll talk about this as the weeks go by to each person here that's listening. If you have any doubts, ask Christ. He will offer proof of who he is to us. So his, his disciples, uh, when asked, they say, he's God. The apostle John uh, goes further and he says, not only is he God, he is the word. The word is this embodiment of God's wisdom and God's person and, and God's plan for the world. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is this Word? The Word became flesh. Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. There should be no doubt in anyone's mind. 
that uh, this word uh, logos, which is the Greek word that's behind it, the essence of God's word, it became the God moving in his creation. And we see here that Christ was the one moving in the creation. He's God. That's what his disciples said he was. Okay, what, what, is, what proved that he was God when he was here on earth? What, he, he moved among us for three years. What did he do that would indicate that he had a supernatural power of speaking and working for God? Very clearly, he, he, he said, I and the Father are one. He claimed deity. And he said he changed water into wine. He, he walked on water. That's not bad. He, he calmed storms uh, when he does that. He raised the dead. He cured leprosy, this dreaded disease of the time. He cast out demons, and the demons would say, I know who you are. And, and he had the power over them to cast them out. He accepted worship. He knew people's thoughts. He forgave sins. Don't let that get away. The Jewish leaders at the time, when he forgave someone's sins, said only God can forgive sins. And that's true. Because the offense, every offense that you and I commit are ultimately against God. So to be able to forgive him, forgive sins, we have to be the offended. So Jesus takes the place of the offended and says, your sins are forgiven in this case. He gave accurate prophecies about his future. He told exactly what was going to happen to him through his death and through his resurrection and then through his return ultimately in the future. He also predicted accurately in about 70 AD where the nation Israel was going to fall because they rejected him. C.S. Lewis, one of the most brilliant minds of the last century, summed it up very well. He, he gave a statement that is in a book called Mere Christianity, which I encourage everyone to read. Uh, he was a professor at Oxford University in Cambridge. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone uh, from saying a really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. People say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't his claim to be God. He says, that's ridiculous. He goes on to describe Christ and what he does. He says, when you listen and read, he says, there's a choice. You're either going to believe that he's a liar and he's trying to deceive you, or he's a lunatic that, that thinks he's God. And, and I love that example that he goes. It's uh, this thing, a level of someone who says uh, that he is a poached egg. Uh, He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord and the Son of God. He doesn't give us any other choice. We have to put him in one of those categories. And that changes our life if we choose Lord and make him Lord of our lives. Why does it matter who Jesus is and what he did? Why does it matter that he's the way? Because he became the stone the way of, that everyone rejected, the way of salvation. Oh, this is huge. This is, separates Christianity. Only Christianity has a resolution and a solution to the sin that every person in here has committed. Sin separates us from God. He was the only way to salvation because he is the only way that a sinner can come into a relationship with God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. He never sinned. So that we, 
once he removes our sins from us, might have God's righteousness, right standing and holiness on us. That's the criteria for heaven. Because sinners don't get into heaven, neither does sin. And uh, simply stated, we do this quite often. If we say we don't sin, we've deceived ourselves. You can maintain your high self-image all you want. The bottom line is we're sinners. We fall short. We don't want to, even if followers of Christ we still have to see the sin in our lives, which brings us back to the cross to recognize the one that died for us. This is not an empty exercise. This is, this is the reality. We call God a liar if we say we're not a sinner. Well, what's, what's the big deal about sin? Uh, the truth is that it separates us from God. We just, in our Sunday school class today, we were talking about a verse, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. The arm of the Lord is not so short that he cannot save, or his ears so dull that he cannot hear. But if we have sin in our life, he doesn't hear our prayers. You know, those 33 years when I would call out, Lord, you know, help me, help me, help me. They were, they were a brick, throwing a brick, boom, boom. You ever prayed a brick? That's when you pray something that's so selfish and so self-centered and you have no relationship with God. It's like I was going, maybe I could, but everyone would go crazy. If I could just bring a brick and throw it up and poof, those are prayers. That, that, that are sent selfishly, self-centered to God without a relationship with him. His, our sin separates us so that he's unable to hear. Here's the hope. Because all have sinned and fall short. This is we have sinned and we are sinning and continuing to sin. In all these trespasses, he forgives all of our trespasses. He cancels out the debt. I, I love that picture of a sinner at the cross. Colossians tells us that every sin that I committed and every sin that you committed were personally nailed to the cross. He took all of those offenses and he paid for them. And at the end he said, it is finished. Those things are gone. He became a propitiation. There's a word, a sacrifice that extinguishes guilt. And if we repent and turn from our sins, we stand holy before God. This is the promise of Christ. This, this is what matters. Oh, by the way, what does it cost us? Nothing. A choice. We're saved by God's grace as a free gift that comes from him. We're saved through faith. We said in John 3, 16, for those who believe in him. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not works that take place, not a result of works that we're going to boast. We're not going to get to heaven. and wouldn't this, this wouldn't be heaven. This would be hell to stand in heaven and spend all eternity bragging about how way cool we are when we aren't. Christ is way cool. We can spend eternity doing that. The gospel of Christ is the power of God for salvation, but it shall live by faith faith, that we believe the facts, the truth that God has put in front of us. And, and what is the most overwhelming proof, we'll talk about this several times, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt in the mind of history that Christ died on a cross. But there's also no doubt that God raised him from the dead. If he was a liar or a lunatic, God would not have raised him. God raised him from the dead to prove he was the Christ, the son of the living God. Again, if Christ has not been raised, all of our faith is useless because God accepted his sacrifice. That's the proof that Christ was who he said he was. 
And how do we know that? Because his disciples went out and told the world. And oh, by the way, that's what we get to do. Uh, this is the Apostle Peter standing in front of the crowds who had crucified Christ, knowing that they could crucify him. And he just gets right in their face. He says, God, you know, Jesus showed, or God showed the mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Christ. You know that. We know that, that these works have been done in history. But he was definitely, he was put on the cross by God's plan so that we might be saved and forgiven. How do we know? Final proof, please. The good news. He rose from the dead. He didn't rise from the dead in secret. He came out of that tomb and he presented himself over, we'll talk about this in the book of Acts, we're going to go through in a little while. Through a period of time, days, he walked and showed himself to his disciples. First thing that he does is that he comes and he shows himself to Peter, who denied him. He restores him as the leader. Then he appeared to the twelve, including doubting Thomas. He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most who are still alive. Uh, he appeared to James, his, his half-brother, and he appraised all the apostles, and he ultimately appeared to Paul, who crucified and killed Christians, who tortured them, put them in jail, and then he was turned around when Christ appeared to him, and, and he acknowledged him. This is Christ, the living God, who walks among us. He is God. What's the application? What's the good news? It, very simple. It was delivered to us that, that Christ died. So what do we do with that information? That God so loved us. Which category do we fall in? Do we acknowledge him as God? Do we, do we choose eternal life with him? Uh, as he chose us, do we choose adoption? It's a choice. The devil told us that earlier or his representation that was here, but it's true. He puts in front of every one of us, God puts in front of us a choice in this spiritual battle that we walk in. What's the reality that's true for us? It's a battle over Jesus. Who do we say that he is? Who do you think he's proved himself to be in your life? Over the weeks, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to go to how, how to go out and tell other people. But the most important thing is to remember if. If Christ is who he said he was. If Christ died for our sins. And if Christ was raised from the dead, it changes everything. Let's watch that message. If, if Christ, if Christ was raised from the dead, if Jesus was resurrected, then we can be adopted. If we've been adopted, then we receive an inheritance. And if we receive an inheritance, then we have assurance. It's a simple cause and effect occurrence. If Christ was raised, we will be raised. If Christ was raised and we have been made adopted co-heirs because his status and inheritance have been conferred, then our resurrection life in and with him is completely assured. If Jesus beat death, our life is sure. And it is this sureness 
that we call assurance. And what is truly astounding about it is that this assurance is not just a logical inference, but an indwelling knowledge that gnaws at doubt with faith's insatiable pureness. Because the great news about assurance is that God sent his spirit to assure us. You see, we have something inside us to remind us that the reason for our salvation is already behind us. You see, it happened on and after the cross so that when your own heart feels at a loss for words, Christ's own spirit comes like a surge to encourage you. You can cry out anew even when you can't, even when you falter, the spirit can cry out in your heart, Abba, Father not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. If Christ was raised from the grave, and if you have put faith in his name, then there is a rock-solid sureness that you can claim. For the power of the Spirit that raised Christ is the same power and the same Spirit that will bring us to life. So, if you have been adopted, then you are an heir. And if you are an heir, then you can have assurance that if God is for us, who can be against us? If. Wow. Now the question is if. But I, I loved his comment about the assurance that there's a, uh, one of the evidences of knowing Christ is an assurance inside of us that when we die, we're going to see him face to face in heaven and we'll spend eternity with him. There's something that moves through the power of the Spirit in us that gives us assurance. This, this series is about carrying that message and that assurance to our families, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to those that are around us. But it starts with us to choose. Would you join me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you that that you in your great love and, and in your great mercy, you've, you've given us evidence of who Jesus Christ is. That you, because you loved us, send him, sent him to this world, that, that we might hear him, see him, even as Thomas and his disciples reached out and touched him. The living God walked among us, that he might become a sacrifice for our sins, if if we choose him, if we believe in him. Lord, for each heart that's here today and each heart that's listening, thank you that you will make yourself real to them, that they might choose you because you are the God who came here in the flesh to open a door that we might have eternal life. You're a good God, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You, you guys have too much fun doing that. Uh, if we could help, the message that we delivered this week uh, is a message about God reaching out in love to each of us. If we can help anyone in that journey, please let us know. Next week, we're, we're going to shift gears. We're going to prepare for battle. 
It's, it's, it's putting our spiritual abilities together so that we can go change the world. Please join us. The title is Prepping for War. Uh, join us as we do that. Thanks for coming. See you next week.